I would like to challenge you. If you got kids, grandkids, maybe just influence over kids in some way on a regular basis in your life, get them to go to the website, get them signed up for those verse kits. Um, what a cool new habit for 2022. They, they get a package in the mail. They're learning scripture. They will be blessed. You'll be blessed. It's fun. There's all kind of cool things in that box that go along with the verses. It's just one of those great opportunities that you have. I encourage you uh, to get them signed up to get the kids. Well, welcome today. I welcome you to this gathering of Heart of Life, whether uh, you're at one of the campuses today or mission sites or uh, maybe just joining us uh, from online from, from all over the place. Uh, I hope that you had a very Merry Christmas. Around here, we had a very Merry Tropical Christmas. I mean, kind of crazy. It's just been unusually warm, but, but fantastic. Uh, but here's the news. It's over, Right? Isn't that wild? It's like Christmas is over again. It really is, which means this is the last Sunday of 2021, which means this is the last week of our year-long study that we have been walking through all this year, the study of Luke and Acts called Nothing to Lose. It was warm enough that I could wear my T-shirt one more time today. Giacomo Buccini was a great composer whose operas number among the world's greatest. Even after being stricken with cancer in 1922, Puccini determined to write a final opera. Turando or Turandot, the the, the, the debate goes on as to how you actually pronounce it, but most would agree it was considered one of his best. As his cancer grew worse, his students would encourage him to rest and to you know, keep his strength, but he persisted. And at one point he remarked, if I do not finish my music, my students will finish it. Well, in 1924, Puccini went to Brussels for surgery. Two days later, he passed away. But his students did finish that opera. And in 1926, the premiere was held in Milan under the baton of Puccini's favorite student, Arturo Toscanini. And all went brilliantly until... They came to the point in, in the score where the, the, the teacher, because his life had passed, had been forced to put down his pen. And, and Toscanini's face wet with tears. He stopped the production at that point. He put down his baton. He turned to the audience and he cried out, thus far the master wrote, but he died. And then after a few minutes... There was a giant smile across the face of Toscanini and he picked up the baton and he cried out to the audience again. But his disciples finished his work and the opera was complete. 
when we began our study of this book of Acts about midway through this year, Dr. Luke began with these words. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And what are those instructions that he gave to the apostles? Verse 8 tells us, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are to carry on what Jesus began. But not because Jesus is dead. <laughs> In our case, he is very much alive. And it is not just that, that we carry on what we once heard him say or, or saw him do, but we carry on because Jesus is with us still speaking and still empowering that we would declare his greatness in our Jerusalem, in our Judea, in our Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. As we get to the end of this book, chapter 27 was a shipwreck, right? And today, as we pick up the story Paul, who is finally going to arrive in Rome, which for many in Israel, their view of Rome would have been the edges of the earth. Today, I want you to watch for something. I want you to watch for the faithfulness of God. As you carry on, what Jesus began and continues to empower you to do. I want you to watch for God's faithfulness toward you in this mission. Let's read a little bit. Check it out. Acts chapter 28. Let's just start with verse 1. Once safely on shore. Shipwreck has happened. They get to shore. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. Now, they would have been familiar with the island of Malta. The problem is they've been in a hurricane for the last 14 days, and, and, and where they come onto this island was not normally where you would come on the island. It was just confusing until they realized where they are. This is, this is not a big island. It's about 17 miles long. It's about nine miles wide. It's about 60 miles south of Sicily. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Now, they've already been wet because they're what? They're shipwrecked and they're trying to get to shore. So the, the ship crashes, they're, they're, they're using everything they can to, to get to land. They're already wet. On top of that, it's continuing to rain and it's cold. And the islanders build for them, I'm going to say, a big bonfire. 
And the reason I'm going to say it's a big bonfire is because Dr. Luke told us in chapter 27, or, or in this, in this, in this, there was 276 people on that ship, and they all survived. That's going to take a big fire, right? The fire is lit to warm them up. Check out what happens. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood. Now, let's just stop right there for a second. If I were teaching a leadership class, this is the phrase I would hang out on all day. Here's why. I realized that Paul boarded that ship to get to Rome because he was a prisoner. But as we have read the story, aboard that ship, Paul became the leader. He was the guy who was, who was speaking wisdom when everybody else was freaking out, when everybody else is trying to fend for themselves. He is giving guidance that all 276 could come out alive. He's the leader. And I find it interesting that when they get on shore, he's not barking out information for who should go pick up sticks. He's just picking up sticks because people need to get warm. I love that. For those of you who aspire to be leaders, I think all Paul's doing here is what he saw Jesus model. This is a little bit of that washing the feet of other stuff that Jesus talks about and that we see Jesus continue to model. I would encourage you, always keep in your life some aspects of humble serving. And there's nothing wrong with being intentional about that. You will have opportunity along the way to pick up sticks and make the fire bigger because people need to get warm. You'll just have, but it's also okay for you to intentionally put in your life humble acts of serving. I think that's absolutely beautiful. I'll say this several times today. If we ever go through Acts again, there's another hundred sermons that could be preached, and that's one of them. What an example of a leader. Let's keep reading. As he put the pile of brushwood on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. Now, that's interesting because the people on this island don't have the Old Testament. They don't know the, the Old Testament. They, they don't know this creator God and yet they still have this sense of a right and a wrong. That they, they still have a sense of, of, of justice and that wrong will be punished. And so they're looking at the circumstances of Paul's life and they're going, this dude must be bad. Because he just survived a hurricane that nobody should survive. And as soon as he gets on the island, he gets bit by a poisonous snake. This dude's just, he's going to die. He must be bad. Like, where does that kind of thinking come from? A sense of justice 
Well, I'll tell you, if you turn the page of your Bible to the next book after the book of Acts, it is the book of Romans. And in the very first chapter, it speaks about the fact that all hold this truth because God plants it in the heart of men and women a sense of love, a sense of kindness, a sense of morality, a sense of justice. Now, we don't get all that right because we end up using it to our advantage, but it's, its presence, it is there because it is God planted. Well, Paul is bitten by this viper. The term for fastening that's used here is used in other writings outside the Bible to actually speak of poisonous matter that is invaded into the body. Uh, the, the islanders look at this snake and they, they are saying, this is a poisonous snake, but what happens here? Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a God. What happens here is a miracle. A miracle. And we will see more of that as this story unfolds. God often does miracles in confirming the truth of his word. But today, I don't want you to miss something obvious. I don't want you to miss a God who is faithful in that God protects him. God protected Paul, I don't want you to miss that in this story. He protected him through a hurricane. He protected him through a shipwreck. He protects him here from the, from the bite of a viper. And I would say we go back through the second half of the book of Acts, we could come up with story after story of how God protected Paul. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. That does not mean the absence of struggle. How many times was Paul beaten? More than we can relate to. How many times did they try to stone him, to try to kill him, right? He went through the hurricane. He went through the shipwreck. But in all of that, God preserved his life. It didn't mean that Paul, we learned last week, because God was protecting, would simply right throw all common sense to the wind. No, there were, there were times that he's using the brain that God's given him. How do I make it through this? Eventually, Paul will die, just like we all do. But what I don't want us to miss is the picture that until our time has come, we have got a God who is protecting us all the time. And I'm saying even in death, he doesn't stop protecting us. He just takes us home. And I'm convinced that when we get to heaven, it will be revealed just how many times throughout our lives God was preserving, protecting 
The point, God faithfully protects you as you carry on the work of Jesus. Don't let the fact that you struggle along the way negate that truth in your heart. Don't, don't let the fact that you go through difficult times and disappointments and what at times, don't, don't let that negate this truth. God faithfully protects you as you carry on the work of Jesus. And when our day comes, he will continue to protect us as he takes us home. Don't miss it. Let's keep reading. Verse 7. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. Now, that little phrase, chief official of the island, is actually a formal uh, title, and it has actually been uncovered in several archaeological digs on the island of Malta. So it's like, yeah, this dude was really there. This is the picture of what happened, all right? He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. Now, here's what that tells me. Publius must have had a significant pad. Because we got 276 people that need to be taken care of. They are going to spend the winter there, but they need about three days to get their their mind together and and where are we going to stay. I'm imagining Publius making the announcement, honey, we're going to have a few people for a few days. 276. Let's keep reading. His father was sick in bed. You thought your Christmas was stressful, right? His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When when this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us, check this out, with the supplies we needed. Now, this sickness that, let's just hold this picture for a minute. This sickness that his dad had, it sounds like nasty stuff. It's some sort of a recurring gastric fever. Paul prays for him. As we often see God do, God heals him. And as a result, what happens? A crowd forms. It is the pattern that we often see. It happens with Jesus. It happens throughout the book of Acts where when the gospel is being introduced into territories, God will do miracles to confirm the truth of what is being said. Tradition tells us that while Paul was stranded on Malta, (laughs) he founded the church there. And tradition tells us that the first pastor was Publius. And I would say that if he had a house big enough to take care of 276 people, that might have been where the church started to meet. I don't know. I often wonder how many Roman soldiers met Jesus during that time frame. Three months of preaching the gospel there. Paul's got them on an island. It's winter. They can't go anywhere. And for three months, he preaches the gospel. Well, if you're preaching the good news of Jesus to people, (coughs) excuse me, 
for three months, one of two things are going to happen. Either they are going to join you as the family of God or they're going to push back and become enemies. And I would say that verse 10, look again at what verse 10 said, if we can put that back up. They furnished us with the supplies we needed. I think that's the evidence of which way this went. I don't want you to miss something obvious here. God is faithful. He's faithful. Because not only does God protect Paul, but God also met his needs. Really all the way through this story of Paul's life, the end of Acts, I, last chapter it was when Paul was in Sidon and there's some sort of need that he has and, and God opens the door that even as a prisoner that his friends could minister to him. Some scholars think that maybe Paul had something actually physical going on. There was some sort of medical attention that, that he needed. God made sure that that could be provided to him. Here in this story, Publius is the picture of giving Paul a place for them to lodge. And then when it's time for them to actually leave Malta, headed toward Rome, they, they supply all the necessities that will be needed aboard the ship as they make the next leg of the journey. The picture is God continually ministers to his needs, supplying exactly what he needed. When it was food, he would give him food. When it was medicine, he would get him medicine. When it was the fellowship of people, then God would give him the fellowship of people. God faithfully meets your needs as you carry on the work of Jesus. You seeing it? Let's keep going. Verse 11. After three months, they've been on Malta put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. Now, I think it's fascinating that Luke tells us that. It's just so much detail. These would have been the mythological gods that the sailors would have looked to for safety and protection, provision. I don't think it's by coincidence that Luke follows what we just got, how God has safely brought them ashore, how God has provided all that they needed, and then it's almost like Luke is painting the picture and he's going, isn't it silly to think that a ship with two mythological godheads on the front of it could be where you look for your safety and your provision? I think that's a game that Luke is playing here. He is a master in his writing. Well, we put in... At Syracuse, not New York, this is Sicily, all right? We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. Tradition, history, tradition tells us that Paul founded a church there. I am not surprised. He had three days. I mean, what else are you going to do? You got three days. You got three days in Syracuse. Let's start a church. What an amazing, amazing story. Let's keep reading. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached Puteoli. 
There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. Now, I think this is fascinating. This is about 145 miles or so from Rome. And, and, and what they discover there is there is already a community of believers that appear to be there. History confirms that the founding of the church there has happened really early in this whole process. In other words, Paul didn't start this church. That's almost the amazing, that's the amazing. He didn't start this church. What seems to be the case, this city is a very strategic city in trade. It seems to be that those groups of Jews, they had moved to those cities because of business and on the wings of business, God is spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. On the wings of business, Well, it's about to get even better than that for Paul. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming. Now, he said we're going to Rome. So when he says there, the there here is Rome. The brothers and sisters in Rome heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Apius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. The the Forum of Apius is about 45 miles from Rome. The Three Taverns is about 35 miles from Rome. And it says that when the people, the believers there, heard that Paul was coming... They come and meet him in these places and they walk with him that final 45 miles to Rome. I don't want you to miss something here. I don't want you to miss how God is faithful. God protects him, God meets his needs and God encourages Paul. And I'm saying God does that on a regular basis for uh, when he was in Caesarea in prison, remember how he was encouraged? Remember how on the ship during the hurricane, God God sent the angel with the message of of encouragement? And, and, And yet in all of that, for me, one of the loudest pictures of encouragement for Paul is to actually see these believers. I mean, it's been three years since he wrote the letter of Romans. A lot of people don't realize that. He wrote to the Romans three years before he gets there. Like, did they, did they really get my letter? Did they really hear my heart? Did they really know how I love them? And for him to see these people show up 40, they make the trek. This is not today. This is not today. They didn't jump in their vehicle, right, and make a 45-minute drive. 45 miles in that day, what it would have required, all the cost, all the expense, all the travel, but the people made a journey 45 miles outside of Rome, and then another 10 miles down the road, there was another group of people, and I'm trying to imagine what that felt like for Paul. As he in chains is making his way toward Rome and those believers show up 
and begin to make those last steps with him. God encouraged him. And so many times the way God does that is through his people. And I don't know how to say it clear enough for you today. I don't know how to say it loud enough today. It is why I am so encouraging you to join us next year. The theme is with. Yes, we have a God who is with us and never leaves us. But the book we're going to study points out over and over again how God often encourages is with his family, with the people of God. Who does God use to encourage you? I would encourage you to spend a little time end of this year, like you got one more, you got one more week before a new year starts, and just put a little time to looking back on this year and who was it that encouraged you? And do you recognize that as a blessing from God? Maybe this is a good week to thank them. And then ask the question, who does God want you to encourage? Who does God want you to encourage? When you get people in your life who, who encourage, man, look, anybody can criticize. Seriously. It takes no effort whatsoever to criticize. Anybody can see the stuff that is wrong. Anybody can easily tear down. But the people who walk with Jesus are supposed to look different. See the blessing in your life of the people who encourage you. And God encourages you as you carry on the work of Jesus. Well, I just got one more picture for you. Look at verse 16. It says, when we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier who guards him. Now, I'm going to say, what an ama- again, God is providing something so cool for Paul here. He gets to Rome. He gets to live in a house. Yeah, there's a soldier who's guarding him. And multiple times when Paul will write, Um, Letters. He will talk about being in chains, right? Because often he is accompanied by a soldier. But every time I read Paul in chains, I think less about Paul being chained to a soldier. I think more about that poor soldier who was chained to Paul. (laughs) Because who's the one with the most power in this picture? Yeah. Yeah. We're told that when Paul gets to Rome, he, he um, quickly sets up a meeting with the, the leading Jews there. He is pleading with them, teaching them the good news of Jesus, and it's not a surprise to us that it says some of them believed and some of them didn't. That will always be the story. Some of them believed and some of them didn't. And he explained to them how 
The Jews had repetitively rejected this good news of Jesus and how it was being sent to the Gentiles. And, and there's a statement that Paul makes that the Gentiles are going to listen. They're going to listen, which I would encourage you to believe they are still listening. So share this good news. They are still listening. But then it wraps up in verse 30 and 31. Check it out. It says, for two whole years, Paul stayed there. Now, let's answer the question, why would Paul be stuck there for two years? And I think the reason could be multiple layers. One, when we read history, we're told that sometimes, just like we are accustomed to in Roman government, in the Roman courts, there would be huge backups. It would just be a backup of how much they could take care of at a time. Throw in on top of that, Paul is being sent to Rome, right, by ship. That ship is now at the bottom of the sea. It is likely that all the records that were being sent with him could have been destroyed in that process. Well, as they're asking for new records to be sent from Caesarea again, that's a long journey. We got a lot of time that, gets, that passes and all that. Plus, I'm not sure anybody from Caesarea actually wants to show up in Rome and argue this case because remember, they never actually came up with any charges against Paul. So who's the poor dude who wants to go show up in Caesar's court and Prove that you got nothing. That may be why the two years. But the law was that after that two years, he would be set free. But look at what it says here. Let's keep, let's keep going. For two years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God. <laughs> no shocker. God's reign and rule in the lives of people. This is the message. This is what Paul lived. How do you become a part of the kingdom of God? He taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is always the point of the story. He was the hero of Paul's story. He's always what he's talking about. And check it out. With all, what's the word? Boldness. There's my word. I told you from the beginning, I think it's the greatest evidence in the book of Acts that somebody is filled with the Spirit of God, that they belong to the household of God. But I also love the last word, all boldness and without hindrance. It's like, wait, I, I thought he was in chains. Like, he's under arrest. I think that's why Luke put it. Because Jesus isn't under arrest. Jesus isn't in chains. And the gospel keeps going forward. God provides a house and people are coming to the house. Here's what I don't want you to miss. Don't miss the faithfulness of God. God protected him. God met his needs. God encouraged him. And God blessed his influence. God continued to give Paul influence even when he's in chains, right? Even when he's under arrest, God continues to, to provide opportunities for people to show up at his doorstep. And Paul's continuing to preach the kingdom. He's continuing to declare what he knows to be the truth. And God keeps giving him influence. I think more than people realize 
in these two years that he spends in that house. Because not only in heaven will we meet, I believe, a whole group of people who came to him during those two years and Paul shared the good news and people who put their trust in Jesus, but also the case during that time. Paul wrote a little book called Colossians. And he wrote another little book called Philemon. And he wrote another little book called Ephesians. Y'all, God used Ephesians to change my heart. He also wrote another little book called Philippians which next year, our plan is to work our way all the way through. I'm saying the influence that Paul continued to see happen in his life because God was multiplying that, God's faithfulness. We will still be enjoying it this next year when we dig into the book of Philippians and God does some stuff in our lives. After two years, if no charges were brought against the prisoner in Roman court, then that prisoner would be set free. We believe that's exactly what happened to Paul. He was released for a period of time, and then he was imprisoned again. During that second imprisonment, he wrote 1 Timothy, and he wrote 2 Timothy, and he wrote Titus. Anybody recognizing the fact that Paul wrote more books of the Bible after he was in prison than he did before he got to Rome? Because God continued to bless his influence. I'm begging you today not to underestimate what God can do with any season of your life. That goes from those of you who are super young in here, but you have entrusted your life to Jesus. Don't you underestimate the impact that Jesus can make through your life. But I'm also speaking to those of us who maybe feel like we're on the opposite end of our journey here and maybe it feels more like the, the, the last section of life. And I would even say, man, isn't it interesting over the last two years, I think I've heard a few people almost describe, man, this kind of feels like prison, a little bit of confinement. I'm saying don't you even underestimate what God can do in seasons of our lives where everybody else would look at it and say, that looks like confinement, that looks like being in chains. Don't you underestimate the influence that God continues to provide in your life. I love how Luke ends this story because it's weird. It's super weird. Two years, he's in the house, people come see him, but he continues to preach the kingdom of God. He continues to point people to Jesus with boldness and no hindrance, and it's over. 
Like, wait a minute. Luke doesn't even tell us the rest of the story that I just told to you happens after he's in prison. He doesn't tell us that part. And I think again, it is intentional because Luke ends the story in a way that communicates the truth. This story has no end. I submit to you that right now, heart of life is a continuation of the story that God has been writing. We who follow him, who continue the work that Jesus began, and no, we don't do it without him. He is with us. He is alive. He is empowering. He continues to speak. He continues to direct. And even now, God is still writing his story with us. God blesses your influence as you carry on the work of Jesus everywhere to everyone as you declare his greatness in truth and in love. Maybe someday we'll study Acts again. I hope I get that long that we get to study it again one of these days and go through it because I think I could come up with at least 50 more sermons that we could look at in Acts. Somebody told me along the way, one of the particular chapters that we highlighted this time, they had marked in their Bible six times that I had spoken on that chapter. I'm saying, well, we've been at this together for 22 years now. That's only like once every three or four years. So it ain't that big a deal, right? It's, I, it's surprising to me that it's not more than that because for me, I love this book. And I'm gonna let you in on why I love this book for me personally. It is a difficult book to twist around and somehow make it more about us than Jesus. I know that people prefer, whether we say it or not, when we show up together, people love to hear sermons about how God protects us. People will show up for that. You tell them God protects, people will show up for that. Deliver a a, a sermon on, on how God provides what we need People will show up for that stuff because we we quickly know how to take the word need and and it quickly can transition to a little more of kind of what I want, but they they flow together and I want you to tell me about a God who who gets me the stuff that I think that that I need. Uh, We can, if we do a series on how God encourages you, right, people will show up for that stuff. A, A God who will build you up, a God who will speak into your life, tell people about a God who will give you influence, right? A God who will give you, give you power, if you will. But when we go through Acts and people are having a discussion, I wonder what Jeff's going to preach on this week. 
uh, boldness to be on mission? Because that's it every single week. My point is the book of Acts, I think, realigns the real picture of what it means to follow Jesus. Most people want a God who will protect and will provide and will encourage and will influence, but they want a God who will do that within their perimeters. I want to live life, and now, God, will you protect me? I want to live my life, and God, will you provide for me? I want to go my direction, and God, will you encourage me, and God, will you give me influence? The picture in the book of Acts is, I have been called to a mission to declare the greatness of Jesus to the ends of the earth. I give my life to that, and in that journey, God is faithful. In that journey, he does protect. Until it's time for me to go, he protects me right into heaven. Along the way, he will provide my needs. Uh, Along the way, he encourages me through his word, through his people. He encourages me, and he continues to give me influence. But this ain't on my terms. This is on his terms, a mission that is to be lived for his greatness. And I love the book of Acts because you have a really difficult time to ever twist that around. May God help us live as we continue the story that he is writing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this journey. I thank you for all that you have taught us again. Many times we come to this, um, to this work and really the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, just so much there that, that resonates with our heart, the stories we love to read. But God, I thank you for the things that you have blown up in our heart to help us realize, to help us see. God, some of us for a first time, some of us something that we need to see again, not just words on a page, but these are your words that are alive. They are active in our lives. And God, I pray that you would continue to stir the boldness within your people that we will set our hearts solely on you and the mission to which you have called us. Thank you that in that, you are faithful. You are faithful to protect and provide and encourage and give influence. God, you are faithful. But God, would you hold our hearts to your story? God, I pray that your church will be blessed in the sense of knowing that joy because we are walking out what you've called us to walk out. God, I I pray that even this week as we reflect over all that you have blessed us with this year, God, as you speak, God, give us ears that can hear on the things you want us to, to, to move forward with. God, individuals, families, as a church, God, just may our eyes and heart be set on you. And in it all, you hold us. 
in it all, we are with you. In it all, you never let us go. God, as we celebrate that truth now, we declare that we are thankful and we love you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing it together.